Hello, my name is Mark Taylor and welcome to the Education on Fire podcast. The place for creative and inspiring learning from around the world. Listen to teachers, parents and mentors share how they are supporting children to live their best authentic life and are proving to be a guiding light to us all. Hello, welcome back to the Education on Fire podcast. Thank you to all of you who've been sharing the show with your friends, your colleagues, your family. It's the best way for us to get the the wonderful conversations that we're having out further into the world. So yeah, thank you so much for doing that. And if you haven't already, please do just mention it to someone in your inner circle that you think would really enjoy this uh, these amazing conversations that we're having. Now, just over a year ago, I spoke to Professor Dr. Gare Grouse OBE at the BET show, and it was a wonderful conversation talking about BET and and education in sort of general terms. But today, I'm delighted to be able to bring him back and have a more detailed conversation and also speak a little bit about his upcoming book. Now, Professor Grouse is an iconic figure in the field of education, a renowned expert on education and innovation and community engagement. He was the first global director of education at the world-famous children's entertainment education company, Kidzania and founding CEO of the Children's University. With his extensive experience at the very highest level of the learning industry, Professor Grouse is a much sought-after advisor for organisations globally on the future direction of education. Driven by his famous mantra that children can only aspire to what they know exists, Professor Grouse champions the cause of creativity, progress, equity and innovation in children's learning. So you can see why I'm very excited about this conversation and really hope you enjoy my conversation with Professor Dr. Gare Grouse, OBE. Hi, Gare. Thank you so much for joining us on the Education on Fire podcast. I so enjoyed our conversation at BET, which I think was back in 2022 now. So I'm really excited to see how your thoughts, how life has changed in that time from the perception that we had during that conversation and also exactly what your your energies are going certainly into your new book. So yeah, thanks so much for being here. Mark, it's a pleasure to be with you. Thanks for inviting me back. So why don't we start, tell us the name of the book, what's the, the thought behind it, and what are you sort of trying to impart with the world? So the, the working title is Through a Different Lens. Underneath that, a life in education views with the benefit of hindsight. And I wanted the book to be a bit like a conversation, really. And, and it is exactly that. It is kind of uh, views with the benefit of hindsight and stories and trying to break some long-standing perceptions, I suppose. And the idea really is to get people to think. There are, there are many very serious books about education, long studies, leadership books, which very often aren't leadership books, but are management books because they talk about how to do things. So... I kind of had this this idea how how good would it be if you wrote a book that those connected to children, including teachers, could take on holiday with them, and that there are enough stories and perhaps even wisdoms in there that people can put in their back pocket, and at some point in life they might be useful because that's exactly in a sense what happened to me so Everybody then agreed that that was a good idea. And, and so it is, it is about storytelling. It isn't about theory. There are, there are many people who do theory. There are many people who produce policies who've never been inside a school and wouldn't recognize a, a child if it ran into them. So experience is everything. And it, it literally starts with, starts with my childhood. It goes through the teachers I liked and didn't like and the lessons learned along that journey. And, um, and the people 
you meet who help you through that journey really and and in a sense help you think and help you rethink certain things because there's that other thing in there I've kind of discovered that I've made quite a few mistakes in my life and 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 I'd like to think that I've learned from them and when we take that into a school scenario that's almost forbidden isn't it because children cannot make mistakes because you get penalized the red pen appears well the red pen has been over my working life quite considerably um and that's okay so it's that was that was the premise of the book and I'm I'm now very much enjoying it we're in we're hoping to publish it in March 2024 um we'll see i hope that we can stick to that time scale so and and i think the other very interesting thing about it is that as you look back and take time this exercise of taking time to look back and reflect and that whole benefit of hindsight thing in a positive way by the way um you then realize how little time you've taken to look back and to use that benefit of hindsight because life's so rushed and it's always about tomorrow and the day after tomorrow and uh, so that in itself was was incredibly useful and i i would encourage organizations and individuals to make time to individually or collectively sometimes just go right we'll take a break we'll have a kit kat and we'll and we'll think things through why they are the way they are and actually individually and organizationally i think that makes you better and hindsight doesn't have to be like you say every 10 years or halfway through your career does it it can be on a on a regular basis and and should be on a regular basis for that point of view yeah and it should also be positive because there seems to be that that kind of association that with the benefit of hindsight i would have done it differently but actually do you know what with the benefit of hindsight there are many things i would have done exactly the same and and that's and and that's a good thing so uh i'd like to think that the book is more is much more positive than negative because there's too much negativity around uh, around as it is but you're right you know a 7 year old has the benefit of hindsight why not so so it isn't just the prerogative of of oldies like me really and that's and that's very good too and from that sort of looking back stance and with all the experience that you have what did that hindsight teach you and and i guess there may be one or two stories from that but in terms of what your sort of preconceived ideas are or your thoughts for the future were earlier in your career in terms of thinking it would be great if this looked like this or if we could change this for it to be this way to support children or, or however it happens to be um but like you said how the story sort of works within that from from like say that sort of hindsight standpoint so one of the things that i i knew but rediscovered is that in dutch the word for teaching and for learning is the same and i kind of i can't quite like that what what i think the benefit that benefit of hindsight what's happened to us in in education terms is that actually we are we should now be talking about schooling and education as almost two different things because schooling is so prescribed you have this not just in this country of course you have this government at the top that decides what children should be taught and what they should not be taught and what they can talk about and what they cannot talk about we we frame that as a national curriculum 
And then we order schools to teach that national curriculum, not just loosely, but as we move on over time, we define it so clearly that at some point in my working life, at 9.30 in the morning, every child in a primary school was sitting on a mat looking forward, doing a plenary in the literacy hour. It felt, it, looking back, it feels very North Korean in a sense. And, and essentially, we are talking in, in schooling terms about teaching and the acquisition or, or remembering the knowledge. That, that got forever narrowed. So you have that national curriculum, you have laid down when it exactly is going to be taught, and then you need to test it because you need to test how well the children have remembered what you've told them. And then you also inspect those schools to make sure that they are compliant. And if they're really compliant, you allow them to have a banner outside that says outstanding. And you could have that entire conversation, incidentally, without mentioning the word child once. So the whole schooling thing is about systems and structures and policies and the desirable outcome of, of a few, often based on no evidence or little research at all. And then you leave that school as the learner and then you're in the wider world and that is where you can educate yourself. And I think where we are, if we're really hopeful, is that schooling serves as a tool for people and young people to educate themselves. So I think that's a really big thing for me is that it's moved more and more away from the child and, and certainly from the individual child. So we are also still in, a, in an industry, in a mass schooling system. Almost Billy Connolly used to say he went to school in, in Glasgow. He didn't like it very much because it was, it was kind of taught to the middle. His, his expression was most of the time he watched the pigeons screwing on the roof and at the age of 14 the, the school gates opened and so did the gates to the shipyards on the Clyde and one moved to the other. I don't think that in, in principle that's changed except that there are no more gates to the shipyard to open. So the expectation of, of the economy, society out there is much more about Everybody is an entrepreneur of sorts, yet we still teach as if the shipyards, the steel industry, the coal mines are there. And I think that is something that, that, that hasn't got better. I think it's got worse. There is a disconnect with reality. So on my travels globally for many years, I talk to as many children as I can. And one of the first questions I always ask is the question, why do you go to school? I would say that in 85% of the cases, the answer now is from very young children to older ones, because I have to. I think it's a bad and a sad answer. And, and part of the, I think, the connect that we need to create between schooling and education is purpose and purpose and passion. And we're getting this wrong. We're getting this very wrong. And everything is literally harnessed within, within this, this top-down approach. And that's sad. And, and, you know, people will then say, oh, you're against the national curriculum and you're against accountability in terms of inspection. I think the national curriculum has very little to do with learning and a great deal to do 
with with the content that people that certain people want to be taught and i think that inspection doesn't make schools better i think accountability is a great thing but we should be in this day and age much more sophisticated the whole thing of course is also based on a lack of trust because people have to remember that in england and elsewhere in the world but in england Ofsted came about, the Office for Standards in Education came about because those in power didn't trust the teaching profession. End of story. Because had they trusted the teaching profession, the, re the relationship would have been better and the outcome of the accountability framework would have been more productive. That makes a lot of sense, and certainly from the conversations I've had with people over the well, three hundred and fifty episodes have gone live as of as of this week. Um, it it is that sort of there, there seems to be very much that sort of um, um, HMIs and a kind of a hand holding and a general supportness of there's accountability there, but there's also a kind of a leadership and a mentorship going on that people felt was helping their career and their schools and the things that go with that. And then like say the Ofsted from that moment being very much a, a different feel and, and leading into everything that you've been, that you've been saying. Yeah. And, 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 and certainly for me, it always brings up um, a couple of things. And the main one being that the thing I've never been able to fathom and I've never really got an answer to is the fact that, of course, everything you're saying is absolutely true, but it's also on the surface of it, at least, not what the country or a government needs because they need real kind of passionate people, entre entrepreneurial people, people that actually are going to be of value to the world for, this, for the state of the economy, for the state of our future as a global um, community. But yet we're not even prepared, even with the research that's gone on and the understanding of how that may progress going future with all the tools and um, things that we have at our disposal, that we're still, like you say, going in the opposite direction. And, and it makes no sense. Businesses don't need it. The economy doesn't need it. Certainly people in, in, a, in a personal way don't need it. But yet here we are, like you say, still going down that same rabbit hole. Yeah, it, it hasn't. Nothing's changed over all those years. Nothing's changed. I mean, I've been... I've been working in, in, in education and schooling for 40 years now. And, and it's a sad conclusion, really, that nothing has changed. So, so the, the parts of the country 40 years ago, if, if, we, if we look at, at England or the United Kingdom, the parts of the country that were poor and disadvantaged 40 years ago are still poor and disadvantaged now. And the parts of the country that sent most of its children to private schools are still doing the same now. And, and so it goes. Girls are still getting a tougher deal. If you are a person of colour, the odds are stacked against you. That was, that was there 40 years ago, that's there now. And, and has there been progress? I'd like to think so, but certainly not the progress that we should have achieved. Yet we find mechanisms whereby we constantly pat ourselves on the back. And I think we need to just be more honest and, and actually say that in certain cases we've, we've let the site down. But I think, again, I can't help thinking that that goes back to trust. Why are we not talking to the people who are directly affected by this? Because, because we've also got to remember that, that the people who are making the policies and who are making things up 
have very little experience of education whatsoever. We're on the sixth Secretary of State in, in God knows what time. And actually nobody wants to be it. Yeah, because this, you become Secretary of State for Education to hopefully then be promoted to one of the four big offices. All of that just feels fundamentally wrong and takes us away from the child. I think another another thing that, that, that really gets to me at times is that we we only begin to take schooling seriously the older the young people get. So, so the older they get, the closer they get to that GCSE age, the more money we pump into the system for them. You wouldn't build a house like that, would you? You wouldn't build your house on quicksand or water the trees from the top at the leaves. So we need to have a really honest, open, cross-party discussion about what we want from this thing. And you, you mentioned, you know, the, the gap that is happening between what society, the economy needs and what's actually going on. So that gap's getting wider and wider by the year, never mind by the generation. And yet at the same time, something that has also not changed is that those who are the employers, be that in the public or in the private sector, or, or indeed in the third sector. There's also still that attitude that we sit on the fence. Yeah? So, so this year, I can predict now in the, second, in the third week of August, Thursday of the third week of August, the GCSE results will come out. The day after, everybody will, depending on which newspaper you read, but most newspapers will congratulate the young people and say, haven't they done well? Right? There are a few of those newspapers they shouldn't be caught newspapers, who will start to slag the kids off. But there we are. I can also promise you that by the end of the month, in one of the Sunday papers, there will be somebody from what used to be called the CBI who will say, ah, but they haven't got the skills we need. And th this, has been this has been repeating itself, uh, gro Groundhog Month, August, for, for years now. Well, do you know what? If industry, if the employers want our young people to be skilled differently, skilled better or whatever, they're going to need to come off the fence, they're going to need to roll up their sleeves and they're going to need to help us make that happen. In, in my wife's primary school here in Sheffield, her motto is every child is everyone's responsibility. I, I think we need to have a very serious rethink rather than tinker on the margins whether oracy is more important than numeracy, it may well be. But we are tinkering at the margins. We are not really talking about social mobility. We are not really talking about fairness. And, and we should depoliticize the well-being and the education of our children. And one of the things which... I hear a lot, I think, is the fact that the first way of doing that, like I say, has to be across party, but also it has to be long term. Like I say, it has to be child focused. It has to be child centered. Yeah. Um, and and the other thing needs to be it needs to be not in a, a five year cycle of elections because it just needs to it just needs not to be. Otherwise, the outcomes have to be about the here and now. And like I say, the five years of GCSE or A-level results have, that have come through. I mean, we are just in the position i mean our youngest has just done her gcses and i would say that her school has been absolutely brilliant 
at doing what it's like you said what the government says of doing what it needs to do it's absolutely hammered her with interventions um that she would ne not needed to have done any work outside of school and still been working every hour of every day they've had what they now call mocks for about two years or three years as they've gone through um and she was as prepared as you possibly could be to sit those exams the real work of of looking after her and the ability to give her a perspective a perspective of what that is how to look after herself how to understand the stresses and the expectations of the school the triage really of looking after her as a whole person is completely left to us. The schools are great when childs are, children are in real trouble and they have to take an interest in how they are and who they are, much less so on that immediateness of having, like I said, that massive education and going through. Um, and I think that's a real shame because what will happen is, is that a large proportion of those children, like I say in August, will be congratulated because they will have done the best they possibly can, which only serves that one purpose. And it's very hard, I think, as a parent, but I think also as a community for children to to make them understand that it may well be that you do brilliantly in your exams. It may well be that even just taking the exam was brilliant for you. It may just be that understanding that not getting involved in all the hype of the education is actually the biggest success that you have. But it's very hard to get that across and be supportive when what they're hearing for sort of six, seven, eight hours a day is just what's being either in the media, on social media, in the school, for them to have a perspective of that. Because since the age of four now, that's all they've been hearing. I agree. And I think I sometimes wonder, I mean, having been brought up in the Netherlands and, and went to university there and then moved to, to the UK, I sometimes wonder whether this is a result of our political construct. We have a we have a two-party system. Uh, we have employers and employees. Everything goes in one against the other. There, there is no history, no culture of consensus or, or compromise. Coalition governments are seen as a weakness because somebody's failed to get a majority. But coalition means not just... And don't say we've had one for four years... It, it takes time, doesn't it? Those things take time to to embed themselves. So I do wonder whether whether because we have no culture of consensus that 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 contributes to this. I'm doing this for five years. Somebody else comes in. I'm undoing this for three years, and then I've got a bit of time left. And you know, again, looking back, and 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 I talk in the book about this. It's about what my best working years were happened to coincide with with the Blair and Brown governments because, you know, education, education, education was the mantra in 1997 and and they, they walked the talk and they put their money where their mouth was. And much changed, not just in terms of GCSE results, but you think of Short Start, you think of, of, of disadvantaged communities, things happening from the earliest of ages, but but with hindsight, where that government should have been much more courageous was that in 1997, it was quite clear that they were going to be in power for 12 to 15 years. And they should have made clear that they were living by a 12 to 15 year plan. They lived by three five year plans. And, and, and that, I think, 
stopped progress. We need to be we need to be much, much braver in terms of getting together. And not it's not just a matter of government. It's interesting. I was reading a report yesterday um, in The Guardian, and the report was was it was a study on um boys' attitudes towards girls and sexual harassment. And this was particularly an issue, of course, for for secondary schools. And I read the whole report, and then I actually did a, a, a word search on it because the, the solution of the report was that the schools would do it all. And I'm literally sitting there thinking, like in my wife's school, every child is everyone's responsibility. So the words parent and carer and family and community and society were not in there. This comes, take this example as behavior, uh, this behavior as an example, this comes from somewhere. And, and to then, in typical government fashion, turn around and go, and the schools will deal with sexual harassment, knife crime, drugs, and all the ills of society is a misrepresentation of reality. It is that they are grossly unfair expectations. And actually, I mean, I love teachers, right? But but they are simply not qualified to deal with some of those issues. And unless you change the system whereby the school comes at the heart of a, of a community that consists of a full service school, where all the services are built around the children in that school so that you can build scaffoldings for each child and they can climb as high as they can or want. Our expectations are unfair. We, I can tell you now that whatever that report said will fail. And then all we need to do in four years' time at the point of the next election is to start to point fingers in the House of Commons. Our, our, really, our, the education of our children is much more important than that. And it's also okay to make mistakes. And, and it's okay to say so. We, we really need a culture change and we need a profession that is recognized for its excellence. And we need a profession that is trusted and that needs to take the lead. And I was very sad when one of the first things Michael Gove did as Secretary of State for Education, of course, he got rid of Shawstar, which was the single biggest mistake and, and showed a lack of vision. But, but getting rid of the General Teaching Council was an equally poor decision because the profession, a profession needs a professional representation. And trade unions are, are not a professional representation. They are members' representation. It's a different thing. I would urge, if we get a Labour government again, they need to look at how, how do you have a dialogue with a profession other than you're going to get your 6.5% pay rise. That, that's a very different thing. And, and there isn't the mechanism for it. And it, and it isn't Matt CEOs. Yeah, it is, they do not represent the profession. They represent their Matt, just like the union leader represents their, their members. So we need, to, we need to unpack that and we need to have a national debate about that question. Why do we send them to school? Uh, there's an interesting thing that I was talking about in, in, a, in a podcast fairly recently, an interview. And, and I was asked the question whether technology made my life easier. And you kind of go, well, it has, but it hasn't promised what it set out to do. Because I was promised that my 
that I would be working four days a week and earning more money at the same time. And none of that's come true. And then I wondered, you know, in the current climate that we're in, Mark, if all of a sudden we could go to a four-day working week, schooling week, would we know what to do with the other day? Apart from sit on our phone and be on Twitter or whatever. Uh, so, so I think we are really going down a rabbit hole that is that is just not a very good way to be or or, or to go down. It's a fascinating topic that because the thing that I find fascinating from having you know we've all been through the COVID and being online and all of that, and there were some very interesting things that came out of it, and I think there were some of us who thought this is the marker in the sand which is going to be we realize things can be different it shouldn't just be as it was during covid but you know the technology moved on the opportunities of how you learned when you learned the way that you learned suddenly everything was possible and had to be different and it seems very much that we've gone back that was we did that because we had to but now we need to get back to normal so it's an opportunity massively missed and i just think from my personal experience back then we had three children at home all trying to do various parts of their, of their schooling but bearing in mind it was a you know an incredibly difficult time for so many people some of the real positives that came out of it were the fact yeah. that there was more communication going on between a collective school and teachers with with pupils i know our kids were certainly it's fantastic not having to get up at the crack of dawn because i'm getting as much work done in my own time and finishing early and you know we had various things that we had in place whether it's exercise related and, and just sort of family related and we had more time but got more done and yes of course there's the social aspect which we had online which was which was i think a, a little bit of a godsend for many people and now that the world's opened up again we can include that like say where does that fourth day come if we um or the extra day come if we've got a four-day week we could introduce that as a social something or or a set of whatever happens but it just seems that like you said it's really hard to make change happen and we had that vision and we had the opportunity to grasp it and mold it in a way that we knew could work in so many better ways for so many people but we've tried to shoehorn everything back into the where it was before, and I don't see why that's the case. I agree. the The aim was the aim became to go back to two thousand and nineteen as fast as we could, and and even not to talk about it anymore. And uh, I, a couple of months into COVID, a friend of mine, Mary Ashun, who is the head of the international school in Accra in Ghana, uh, we were on a call, and she said, "You know, my school will never be the same again." My sixth former certainly will never come to school five days a week again. I'm, I'm really thinking about four days or three and a half days per week. And the other day or day and a half will be surgeries online directly with their tutors or their teachers to follow up from what has been taught in the days when they were in. And she was really thinking that through. And, and that's what started to happen there. We're here. We, we haven't made... You and I have, because because look, we're talking here now. There are more podcasts and webcasts now than than there ever were. So, and and I'm not living on aeroplanes anymore. I've got lots of online meetings now. Sometimes that's great, but I miss traveling as well. So, so there's a balanced thing there. But from my my youngest daughter, who who's been schooled through the COVID thing, firstly, great credit to her school, right? Because this was a nine 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 call. Nobody was programmed for this. We have to just remember that 
and, and they did remarkably well. I still think there's an element where I look across the piece that trust comes into this thing again. Yeah, so even in PE, when you're jumping up and down in your own room, uh, you have to have your camera on, otherwise I don't know whether you're participating. For God's sakes, send them on a dog wall, right? Or, or, or whatever. There are different ways of doing it. Jacob Rees mugs everybody must go back to work has got nothing to do with productivity. It's got something to do with control and a lack of professional trust. So I think there are all those things. The, 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 the positives have been ignored. We were not prepared to change because the, the system and the structure needs to be served. And, and I think it is very sad. And I think also, you know, the, the bit that, for me, the biggest positive of, of, the, of the COVID thing in terms of schooling was that the futurists got it wrong. Just like they're getting it wrong with AI now. We won't need any teachers. Will not happen. The happiest day of 2020 for my daughter was the day she went back to school and was with her teachers and with her mates in that environment. And of course, the teacher of 2053 will, the job will be very different to the job in 2023. But the personal aspects won't go. So we, again, you know, I said at the beginning, we don't, we, we don't take the time and we're not given the time to reflect and think individually and collectively. And we're not awarded the trust to then bring about change. So nothing's changed. And then the other thing which I, I you know, I highlight as much as I can, many a pat on the back should be given to schools for this for that COVID period on how they, they managed this 999 call. But whilst Mr. Williamson, as Secretary of State, was driving around handing out free laptops, we also have to remember that what COVID also did is it shone a very ugly light on inequality. There were schools in this country, in this city where I am now, where 35% of children had no internet access at home where a very large number of children who did have internet access at home only had one laptop to share between three or four in one room. So nothing in that area has been addressed. And again, we're back to those that were disadvantaged 40 years ago are still disadvantaged now. COVID shone that light and we've chosen not to talk about it. It's a lesson that seemingly we're not prepared to learn. And we must learn that if we talk about having a society that's ready for the 21st century, if we don't learn those lessons, we are in big trouble. So in terms of the future, with that sort of perspective, um, perspective of hindsight, I mean, you get the opportunity to keynote and chat to people all around the world and share this wisdom and understanding. And I would imagine there's always a great excitement in the room about what's possible. However, like you said, we're having the conversation that we kind of had a year ago and then <laughs> we'll probably have the same conversation in five years or would yeah. have been the same 10 years ago looking forward. So how does that how does that make you make you feel? Does it make you feel like there is the possibility of change or that it is just that continual cycle because of all the things that we've spoken about so far? Or or is there something that you think could make a difference that we're just ignoring? I, I think there is an issue 
there is an issue of we can make that difference. I just think we need to, we also as as citizens, as responsible adults, as as employers, as NGOs, as public sector organisations, we need to really stop pretending that government is capable of bringing about change. Government maintains the, the status quo in a two-party system more often than not in its own interest. So we need to become more responsible. If, if the world of work wants suitably qualified young people to enter the world of work, they are going to actively need to come off the fence and help stuff happen. I, I was very privileged to chair a meeting prior to the 2023 BET conference in London, which, which was about um, addressing the issues of disadvantage, particularly in relation to technology. And round the table were some, in inverted commas, pretty big beasts. Yes, the Googles, the Hewlett-Packards, the Microsofts, the Tata consulting organizations. They have the capacity to bring about change. They just need to realize that if they really got together and incidentally acted as a business for good and looking at return on involvement rather than return on investment, because I think there needs to be a shift there too, they have the capacity, A, to come up with the change that's needed and B, to fund it or create a model that is sustainable and three, actually tell governments what they should be doing. We just need to change the, the emphasis and we need to display greater courage. We need to begin to own the debate. There is too much about, amongst all of us, about, well, we'll wait and see what they do. I can tell you what they do. It will never be good enough for your children and it certainly will not be good enough for mine. And if it's not good enough for yours and for mine, then it isn't good enough for anybody else's either. So we, we need to just keep having that debate. And opportunities like this one here, this, this chat that we're having, all those little bricks will build something. And we need to empower teachers to open up. To, to give us their positive contributions. But I, I am totally aware that we live in a world that is pretty much a, a world full of fear. People people would quite often not feel confident to do that. We need to change that too. Uh, you, we have to be optimistic, otherwise we might as well close up shop. But it is harder now for the time being than it has been for quite a while. But then I think... I think we've we've never had in my lifetime uh, we we've never had a government that is quite so so corrupt quite frankly and and I mean morally corrupt you know to 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 throw the words leveling up out all that time time and time again and there is no evidence there is absolutely no evidence that it's made any difference whatsoever so we have to hope that that will change and I like the, that way you, you sort of framed it in terms of those building blocks, because I certainly have that sort of wave of going to a live event, talking to people um, in a gathering where the, the, there's a, a real rush of positivity. And then you sort of go back into your own world and then you kind of that the, there's there's more negativity than possibility necessarily, which is the reason I love doing this podcast, because everyone I speak to is sort of is thinking that their little part of the world is making a difference. And it's while the, the whole 
center of this is about child first child focused and whoever has you know a part of that at the heart of what they're trying to do is is something that we want to share and amplify um and and, and i think realizing that it really is we want this massive change like I say those big companies being able to stand up to step up to make a difference to have a shared voice to bring all those things together but the flip side of that being that you know our conversation today or the conversation you're having with the pupil in your class or your own child to kind of give that kind of real 360 idea of what's important to them for them going forward because like I say even if we suddenly had this education system which is what we might dream about it being for the benefits of everybody. That's probably not going to be the one that, like say, your child or my child is going to experience because it's going to take a little while for that to happen just in a practical way. So it is what you can do in the here and now as well as, like you say, all of those building blocks to make that positive change going forward. And we have to value them equally, right? So, so in that sense, the schooling and the education of a child is a little bit like throwing a pebble into a pond. You know, it hits the water and that's where the child is. And then there are rings that develop. And and we are all one of those rings. But the the classroom assistant who stops a child from crying because the child is upset at that moment in time is much more important than the person with the big idea. We have to recognise that we shouldn't stop and wait for others to do certain things. Everybody plays their part. Everybody is an expert. And and sadly, we, we've we not recognised that. We don't, actually don't want to know about experts a great deal because, because it gets in the way of, of, of politics. And we really need to push. I wonder, you know, I, I did think about this. If ever, I don't think in my lifetime, but if ever um, there were proportional representation in this country, whether the way we do politics and implement policies would also change. And I think, it, I can't help thinking that in the long term it would because, because you are forced to listen to other people. Otherwise, you are not, you can't go to the party. And, and, and that side of things. So, so it's complex and it's really easy at, at the same time and and it is upon us not to give up and to keep going because in the end we are here to serve the children not the system yeah and i think that idea at the moment it very much feels like that there's somebody else organizing those parties and therefore we have apart from attending in the way that they've given you the instructions there's not much you can do and um and I suspect in the things that we've spoken about in terms of sort of that collective responsibility that should this party look differently because it's organized by somebody else they're showing a new way that's when the change starts to shift because everyone wants to take the responsibility of what's positive and what and like I say if it has to fit in with the political system they want it to be popular so if they if they can take hold of something which has happened like that then that that kind of shows a slightly a slightly different way forward and and you mentioned that Sorry, Mark, I was just going to say, and, and we need a society that is well-educated as, as well as as well-schooled. You know, the, in the end, whichever way you look at it, 99.999999% of parents and carers love their kids, right? End of story. And, and we need to get back to that really simple understanding that the better educated you are, 
I don't mean GCSEs, A-levels, grades, 5A stars and all that stuff. The better ed educated you are, the better life your life chances will be. I can't think of a single parent who wouldn't want that for their kids. But we need to, we need to make sure that we empower the, the parents and the communities and the families to give those messages and to be and to be actively with the child and that's that's been taken away and that that collective idea i think is, is something which is key and something that does come up again and again here because it depends on the child doesn't it because you, you hope the school is the place where they're getting the best learning that's not yeah. always the case you hope that home is safe and somewhere where they're getting that the love and understanding that they need we know that's not necessarily case you know it's 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 everybody's responsibility as you quite rightly said but also it's understanding that everybody's experience and situation isn't the same either so each of those sort of spokes as it were that actually are feeding into a child's learning and education whatever that happens to be will look different as well which is why like I say it's complex but it's also a kind of a global um, almost putting your arms around everybody that's involved because every person has an important thing to say and an important part of of that evolution as it were of a child and their learning and their growing up and you're never quite sure which part of it is the thing that's going to make the difference to take them into finding their power their passion their understanding it might be just someone that was in a club that they were involved in and they suddenly had a, a world opened up to them that they would have never have had just by what they've experienced at home or what they would have experienced at school and um, I, I think that's such an important thing to remember yeah i agree you mentioned there about TAs and teachers and and the people that kind of have a real effect in the here and now. Is there a teacher or a school experience that you remember that has had an impact? And I think also what's really fascinating about this is how that has kind of influenced sort of your career in, in the way that that's taken you as sort of a, a, a teacher and an experienced educator going forward. I think all, all along that happens. And I think what we, again, what we need to do is we need to make where we can time to recognize that. I I enjoyed my primary school. I I so enjoyed my primary school. And particularly two teachers, Mr. Vinke and, and Jutte, they were just kind, they were funny, they were knowledgeable, they challenged. And then what happened is I went to secondary school and I didn't enjoy all of secondary school, but I enjoyed certain subjects. And the reason I enjoyed certain subjects is because Meneer Marsh was a brilliant history teacher and Van de Goer was a brilliant Dutch teacher and Heine was a brilliant English teacher and the best of all was Burskens who was who was the German teacher who I, I had quite a, a, a difficult childhood at, at, from a home perspective and at my secondary school I kind of turned off because I, I didn't understand half the time why I was there if A is 2 and B is 3 what is C? I don't know what you're talking about. I, I don't understand your language. I, I don't know what purpose that has. But then this man comes along who I was about to be excluded from the school. and and uh, But I was really good at German. But the German teacher didn't like me because I suppose I was I was quite cocky, really, because I was quite good at it. And, and he wasn't interested. And then I got this this newly qualified teacher. And in his very first lesson, he refused to speak Dutch with anybody he just spoke German right and 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 in halfway during that first lesson he said to me can you come and see me at the end and I kind of literally thought here we go again and and so hands in pocket I went to see him afterwards and said what and he went into his briefcase and he said 
I think you're really good. I think you're really good. I think you should read. And he gave me a book, Heinrich Böll, Wanderer Kommst du nach Spa. And I took it home and I read it. Like, and, and I went back the next day like Oliver Twist and kind of went, I finished it, can I have another one? And he said, I was hoping you'd come back. Now keep that one. And here's another one. Wolfgang Borchert, Draußen vor der Tür. And, and I still got that book, by the way. I became a German teacher because of him. I, I, there was, I didn't want to do anything else except become a German, a German teacher because of him. And then, and then one, when I was that German teacher and I moved to, to England, and my first school was Taverham High School just outside Norwich, which, which was a brand new school. We started, I think, with 69 kids and then build it up from there. I then saw teachers where I thought, I was like watching a football player, right? I want to do that. I want to do the Cruyff turn. So Paul Nevins was that teacher. He was a geography teacher. I, I just used to watch in awe as a fellow professional. I think, oh my God, I just, it was amazing. Richard Taylor, the English teacher. Um, Gordon Jenkins taught art. Uh, Leslie Milne, who taught history and RE and was ahead of year. These, these amazing people I worked with. And so throughout, as I then went on, I kind of, I kept putting these things in my back pocket, really. Going, I can do this and I can do that and I shouldn't do that. And I've learned this. And, and I've never stopped doing that. Because, and I suppose if I really go back, that's the influence that came from, from that German teacher. And then many years later, there is this saying, isn't it? If you're a teacher, 50 years from now, somebody will mention your name. I just, just think that through, right? And and I was speaking at a conference in, in Kuala Lumpur and and um, the person speaking before me, I just went in to see what the room was like. And this person speaking before me stopped his speech and said, the reason I'm here today is because the man who's standing at the back. And it was James Neal, who was one of my very first pupils at Taverham High School in Norwich and many years later. It happens. We don't, sadly, as teachers, we don't always get to see it. So I was really fortunate. But trust me, it happens. And there is, you know, it's the difference between a reward and an award, isn't it? We get rewarded and, and, and we don't always see it, but, but it's there. It's there every day. And we, despite the pressures from Ofsted and whatever else is there, we must never close our eyes to that because it's glorious. It's, it is singularly like winning 15 Oscars at once. Uh, and and we get that so often. Uh, and and that's, that's the bit that my teachers gave me, uh, that, that good teachers are magicians. They, they, are, they are the definition of awe and wonder. And I think, sort of bring this sort of full circle, we talked about hindsight. And, and I really liked what you said to begin with about the fact that hindsight is something that we should it should have a positive spin in, in terms of what you take from that because it's very easy to think oh I, I missed this opportunity like you said or I'm always learning and and that idea of you know you haven't failed you're just learning and building on your experience and you're growing in, into what you're doing and we're all doing that no matter what of our, our age and I think what you just demonstrated there is that you know what you knew by the end of of teaching at that school was different than when you started but you couldn't have done it any differently because you didn't have that experience in the same way yeah. as all the keynotes that you do now and all the people that you talk to now and the experience you have from a global setting you would never have had 
until you'd sort of been down that path and spoke to those people. And, and I think enjoying the journey in that sort of cliched kind of way is is all that you can do in sort of taking that sort of positive step forward. And and I think, like I say, that regular looking back in hindsight, which is why I can I can really understand why the book is it's become such a pleasure thing to do but in terms of the, the the experience of it as well as the writing of it now because you can start to see how that sort of free-flowing thought based on all those experiences is really going to make such a such a big difference um and i think the other thing is the, the other thing is which is really important is very important for young people to understand i had a column in the week junior and we called it becoming me it wasn't about where people arrived it was about the journey really and we interviewed lots of interesting people right steve mcqueen the a film producer, but a heart transplant surgeon, you name it, right? And the heart transplant surgeon stays with me for the rest of my life because she became a heart transplant surgeon because her daddy died when he was 12 of a heart attack and she didn't want other children's fathers to die, right? So, so, so that was the story. But what came out of all of those people, what we did at the end, the last question always was, do a drawing of your professional life a line. And do you know what, Mark? There are no straight lines. And that's really important because what do we tell our children? If you do this and you get that grade and you do this and you do this and you do this and, and everything's a straight line. Just like we tell people who enter the teaching profession that if you do this and do this, you become head of department and then you become a deputy head and then you become... There are no straight lines and it's perfectly okay. Thank God there are no straight lines. And so we need to give positive, truthful messages with, within that. Yeah, and I think that's... Uh... I think that's a, that's a great piece of advice and I think also tying that into the conversations that you're having with children as well because it's very easy to get on that track of even if you understand it's not a straight line you know it's now a career path it's now this and you want to make the biggest difference and you want to be able to control as much as you can to make that difference but like I say that full circle of kind of the conversation you're having with that child now in that moment of need or or excitement or passion or, or joy or whatever that happens to be is the only thing and it's all those successions which will give you that path like say up down and, and somewhere through somewhere through the middle and the human touch right the 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 bit there are kind of two stories that are connected that one is when in 1992 at Wembley I think it must have been the old Wembley when Barcelona Johan Cruyff my hero Johan Cruyff's Barcelona played Sampdoria, he got all his players together before the game and the only thing he said in the tact in the tactical brief was go out and enjoy yourself. And in, in nineteen eighty three, on my on in September nineteen eighty three, my very first day at Tavram High School, just before I was going to take my very first register, uh, the head popped her head round the door in the staff room and said, Can I have two minutes please. So I went to her office and she said, um, it's a big day. Don't forget to enjoy yourself. Don't forget to make mistakes and become really good at learning from them. Off you go. And, and I hope that there are many head teachers and senior leaders who have exactly that conversation with their teaching and non-teaching staff because, because the, what we talked about a lot today is not the systems and the structure, but the human factor. And, you know, there are no teachers who don't like children. And, and, and that's, that's the biggest thing. 
And I think my final takeaway is that what all of those things have now done is you stand on either side of of that enjoyment, of that learning and that, that way of being or of fear. And I think depending on where you make any of those decisions, like I say, whether it's political, whether it's individual, whether it's the the companies that maybe do have the the influence of showing how it can be different and putting money into it and sharing the voices, if it comes from that sense of let's do this because we know the journey is important as opposed to, ah, oh, but it might be this, then maybe that's the one thing that's going to make the, the biggest difference. And um, I think that's probably a great takeaway to finish off with. Um, please do share. I mean, thank you so much for, for everything. It's always amazing to chat. And I know we could be here for another four or five hours and <laughs> maybe we should, we should come back together and carry on um, again, especially around March time, maybe when, when, when the book's going to come out. But tell people where they can find out more about you and obviously keep in touch with everything that you're doing. So the, probably the easiest thing, uh, my very good friend, Mark Sylvester, uh, for my birthday, built me a website, which, I, which I'm really grateful for. So it is it is very straightforward. It is uh, gagrouse.com. And, and we try to put as much on there as we possibly can. Fantastic. Thank you so much indeed for sharing such wisdom and insights. And, and hopefully we've, we've got that positive momentum going in the moment now, but also enough understanding and kind of and collective good for have that child first, child centered idea of what we're going to do in the next few minutes and moments and days and months going ahead. So, yeah, thank you so much indeed. Thanks for having me, Mark, and I hope to see you in 2024. Take care.